Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlach. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today we are joined by a dear brother, Dr. Scott Pace, as we continue our series on theological education. Dr. Pace serves as the Dean of the College at Southeastern and Associate Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Preaching. He has written and co-written several books, including Student Ministry by the Book and Pastoral Theology. Dr. Pace is such a gift to our school. Really, the only negative thing that I feel towards him or about him are the teams that he has, for (laughs) some reason, decided to devote his allegiance to. Other than that, this is all brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is the definition of bandwagon, but oh. but but it's okay. It's okay. You know, I mean, not everybody can root for Duke and the Yankees and the Lakers, you know, uh, and the Cowboys. And the Cowboys, yeah. 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 Oh. Listen, so. established teams are established for a reason. Like, they have a legacy, and I'm old enough now where it wasn't a bandwagon. They're, they just continue to be the most prominent teams. That's true. That's true. Dr. Pace, thanks for joining us today to talk about student ministry, which is a program that you oversee here at Southeastern. So let's let's talk a little bit about your journey. How did you get to Southeastern? What was your theological education like? And maybe just to add kind of another question to that, what what is your vision for the student ministry degree here just off of that journey? Yeah, those two things really relate because um, my journey included student ministry. Uh, Some of my call to ministry was actually developed out of what I didn't get as a young person growing up. So when I was a teen, I felt like um, when God changed my life, my sophomore year in college, I was able to reflect and look back. Man, when I was a teen, I didn't feel like my student ministry experience served me well. Hmm. And so it gave me a passion to see young people discipled. And so as I began to serve in the local church, I, I graduated from a larger secular university with a degree in accounting, began to work for a couple of years in the um, uh, public and private sectors. And then God called me into ministry through my involvement in local church. And a lot of that involved serving young people. And um, man, my first staff position Gosh, after I'd said yes to ministry within a year, I was on staff at a church as a youth pastor, mm-hmm. uh, as a church plant at the time, and uh, ended up being there for six and a half years. And so uh, it was during that same season that I was here in seminary. So that was, I mean, I mean, I came for my MDiv here in 99 and was uh, finished that in 02 and started a PhD program in 03 and finished in 07, but we left in 06 to go serve elsewhere, pastoring down in Florida and then in Oklahoma, teaching and pastoring out there. So uh, student ministry continues to be, it was so it's at the beginning, and it continues to be a part of what God's done in my life as I continue to serve churches and bear student ministry capacities. And then here overseeing uh, the student ministry degree programs, which I feel like are essential because um, student ministry is such a critical part of the church. It's a demographic ministry within the church. Um, and so when we look at their specific needs, we see uh, the statistics tell us that most people come to the age of Christ when they're under 18, but we also know they need to be old enough to have a personal understanding of salvation. So that's positioning that conversation in the student ministry world, mm-hmm. but it also comes with some unique challenges, mm-hmm. the things they're going through in life, how they're maturing, how they fit within the church, uh, all of those different dynamics uh, as they navigate a crazy season in life that only seems to be getting crazier by way of our culture. 
So my vision for student ministry degrees here is that we're equipping students to serve the church in that way, particularly in that demographic as we minister to reach and teach disciple young young people, teenagers, as we call them, into becoming mature followers of Christ uh, and setting them on the trajectory for the rest of their life to fulfill what God's called them to do. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. So, so let's let's think about the student ministry program here mm-hmm. at, at at Southeastern. Um, what what are the classes that are in the program? How how do they equip someone for student ministry? Like like I mean, obviously, you know, there are all kinds of folks that are in local churches, all sure. kinds of folks that are in student ministry, and so on. What would entice them to come here and yeah. get a degree, you know, in student ministry? Yeah, the degrees in student ministry um, are foundationally ministry degrees. So you're going to think of um, a strong biblical foundation, uh, as well as some uh, fundamental foundational skills for for, for ministry. Uh, so teaching and preaching the Bible, interpreting the Bible, so hermeneutics, uh, some some teaching other aspects of ministry within the church. And those are common across the board for ministry degrees. But the distinctives for student ministry degrees include, for instance, a course in foundations in student ministry, where we actually construct a theology of student ministry, what the Bible says about a teenager, what is God's expectations of them, how does God classify them, then what can we expect of them by way of a disciple, how does that relate to the dynamic of a family, how does it fit within the church family. And then we get into things like the philosophy of student ministry of how we go about discipling a teen, how we find that balance between being um, relational and relevant and yet timeless and true. And so kind of navigating um, those elements of philosophy of student ministry. And then we get into the practice of, of that. So all that's foundational. And then we have other classes like issues in student ministry. Where we're going to talk about cultural issues they face. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about uh, everything from uh, practical aspects that are issues such as budget, or calendar uh, scheduling to, again, uh, some of the particular cultural issues that include everything from um, depression, the sexual, you know, kind of connotations and different things that are going on in our culture um, and how you navigate those. Then we have, uh, for instance, another class um, that's missional student ministry that we're trying to help students understand how to live on mission, Mm -hmm. even from a young age. And so, uh, we're helping student leaders who are training to, uh, to be in leadership in student ministry uh, learn how to navigate or, or facilitate a, a student ministry that's missionally oriented. So many times student ministries take this kind of approach of even the strongest ones are disciple them and help them become, you know, um, at least mature in their faith in, in one sense of morality, moral mm-hmm. speaking, values and virtues type of thing, uh, but not necessarily challenging them to live on mission where we talk about how do you understand calling, how do you mm-hmm. pursue calling in your life, and um, how should you approach your vocational uh, pathways, you make college choices and navigate that, and then how do you leverage your life for the cause of Christ. And so teaching teenagers how to do that is a, is a real important aspect, and so we have a class devoted to that in missional mm-hmm. student ministry. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of the distinctives that I think help separate the, the student ministry degree mm-hmm. and really are designed to equip those who are serving in student ministry today. That's really good, brother. I spent a little bit of time as a college advisor over the student ministry, and it was just so cool just to see some of the students, their hearts for for students and how they interacted with some of these classes that that are in this program. So, man, you've done just a phenomenal job of leading this, this, this degree program. So let's but let's shift gears just a little bit yeah. uh, and get into some some student ministry questions here. So 
I served as a youth pastor for several years, and this was a pretty big issue during that time. Continues to be be an issue even today with the youth pastors that I that I talk to, and that is getting unengaged parents to be more involved. Mm. When I say unengaged parents, I'm really thinking two categories here, and there may be more categories, but but here I'm just going to use these two. So the first category are parents. Uh, that see youth ministry as a glorified daycare, right? Uh, a teen daycare. They drop their teens off at church and pick them up, but other than that, they're not they're not really engaged in the youth group. They're not really uh, engaged in the local church. the The second category of parents are the parents that are members of the church and attend services, but they're not that invested in the student ministry in mm-hmm. any way. And they've mm-hmm. kind of delegated the role of mm-hmm. their the discipleship of their children solely to the student pastor. Yeah. So with these, these two categories in mind, how can student pastors get parents more involved and invested in what's going on in the youth ministry? Mm-hmm. How can they get them to take more ownership of it? Yeah, I think it's a really important question because I think uh, when we approach student ministry, we have to see it as supplemental, at least ideally so, to the role the family is supposed to play. So we have to adopt a mentality that student ministry is meant to complement and supplement uh, by way of discipleship in a teenager's life. The other thing that I think we have to start with is most student pastors, the questions almost assume that, that student pastors have a friendly view of parents. And sometimes we see parents, as I talk to youth pastors, they see them as obstacles when really they, they can be your greatest assets. Mm-hmm. And um, when, you, when you feel like you're going to have to answer to parents or respond to pushback or convince or persuade them that you need, want to do what you need to do. Uh, and so we have to really see parents as an ally mm-hmm. and an asset, not an obstacle to, to be overcome. When we do that, I think we find ourselves looking at the two categories you described, Brandon. And I think uh, at that point, it does become a, a, a matter of practice. So for the, the church member who just kind of like you said, delegates the discipleship responsibility. I think engaging those parents in a couple of ways. One's going to be through your senior pastor support. Mm. You need some support that said that endorses student ministry as a vital and viable part of the church, and that challenges parents of teenagers to be involved. Mm. And so that's a that's a support element that'll provide a lot of different things. But I think it encourages and funnels parents your direction. Right. Uh, then I think you have to be willing to to kind of um, identify places that they can serve and give them some responsible tasks while being mindful of the the busyness of life that I'm sure they're uh, wrestling with and dealing with. You know, it's funny because now uh, with four children and, and three of them, one of them's graduated, but two of them are, are middle two now are in the youth group. And so uh, I see things as a parent and uh, from the parent's perspective, a little bit different. And uh, I realize that sometimes we welcome parents to, to be a part of, but we put them in really non-significant roles. Some mm-hmm. of the parents looking for those roles of, hey, let me be a snack line server. <laughs> and then some of the parents would welcome the idea to host a small group in their home or be a sponsor or chaperone on a trip, but they've never really been engaged with the value of what that will contribute, the significance of what that uh, will mean, and the impact it'll make not just on their students, but other students' lives. Um, and then we have to help them overcome the fear. Some of those parents are actually standing on the sideline because they're terrified, even though they have teenage children. Right. Some of what their teenage children, the language they speak and the world they live in, terrifies the parents to think, I'm not ready to do that. I have no idea the world they live in. Right. I don't think I could disciple them. And you hear it reflected in the, I don't know how you do what you do. Like, I could never work with teenagers. 
sentiment that's well-intended and kind, um, but really reflects a f- maybe a fear, a phobia, mm-hmm. a teenage phobia. So I think we have to help them overcome. For the other ones, it's definitely more challenging. Uh, I remember testimonies of students in our youth group that parents that were on the fringe would happily drop their kids off. They wanted them to have a wholesome life experience, but they themselves didn't feel like it had any impact for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And we used to invite them to be things like grillers at the barbecue or Mm -hmm. what have you. And we saw some of them come to to faith in Christ um, through that and trying to add value. I think adding a a parenting teens class of some kind, we did that every other year. We would rotate through and do a a parenting of teenagers class. And that would sometimes invite parents who were on the fringe at church or not involved in church to say, okay, I do recognize I need help with this 15-year-old I can't control or, you know, whatever. And I think providing some insights and assistance. You don't want to tell a parent that you know better than they do. I solicited an, um, some experienced parents who had graduates uh, come help me teach that class. They could talk from a, a parental perspective um, to kind of help overcome that challenge. But I think if you provide some of that, then you, you might be able to, to reach some of those fringe parents that otherwise are seeing it as a daycare. Yeah, that's really helpful. One of the things that you, you've, you've alluded to and mentioned is that there's a partnership that yeah, exists right. between the student pastor and parents. So Parents, you know, if, if your kids are connected and more engaged in the local church than you are, then you might need to reconsider your priorities, right? You know, parents play a, a vital role in the discipleship of their children. Uh, they set the tone and the pace for what's important. Is it is it athletics? Is it travel ball? Or is right. it the local church, you sure. know? So parents are instrumental in the formation of their children and have to have at least some knowledge and involvement in what's going on in their children's youth group. At the same time, Student pastors, you can't be upset with parents that aren't involved if you're not communicating that or if you're not providing opportunities for Mm -hmm. them to come alongside you and serve with you. One of the things that you you said, I mean, I love the idea of doing workshops, helping parents uh, see the importance of it. That's a great way to take ownership. Another way is maybe even updating them like through a newsletter or something Mm -hmm. about what you're doing because for many parents, they think youth group and they think games. Mm -hmm. They think massive Mm -hmm. events. They think camps. But there's so much more that's going on. If there. you're doing it right, there if is you're doing it right, right there's yeah. so much yeah. more yeah. That, that's going on there for sure. Yeah. So let's think a little bit more about this this daycare mindset. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's real. You know, yeah, sure. I mean, you could have some where it's like, okay, we've got games, we've got snacks. You know, we even give some arts and crafts, right. you know, and things like that, you know, and and then we give them a nice little, you know, five minute, you know, homily right. you know, or something. And then we're like, there we go. We discipled. And you're going, well, 95 percent of it, you know, of, of our time together was was just silliness. Yeah, you know? right. And it doesn't mean that you can't be, you know, silly and, and have have a good time and all that. But you just go just in terms of the of the ratio, mm. you go. Exactly what did we do in terms of discipleship? You yeah. know, and uh and how are we training up folks, uh young young folks for adulthood yeah. and for, you know, the major, major life decisions that they're gonna be making and so on, all of which are not just major life decisions, but there are they are decisions that should be theologically driven. You know, right. uh, I, I make decisions in light of you know, my understanding of who God is and right. what He has done in Christ, and 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 who I am in Christ, and mm-hmm. and and who I am as a part of the local church. You know, and, right. and just all of these different things. So, what can we do to, if I can say it this way, beef up yeah. uh, youth ministry yeah. so that we're we're maximizing the time that we have, the limited time, just a couple of years. Yep that we have to disciple 
mm. uh, students and prepare them theologically yeah. uh, for uh, the real world? Yeah, it's a really important question, and I'm I actually am really glad that this is becoming more of a conversation in the mm-hmm. student ministry world because uh, we should recognize, and it's saying it starts with believing that teenagers, man, if we can teach them trigonometry, we can teach them theology. Mm-hmm. And then we have to understand that it's not necessarily teaching theology doesn't translate to a, a, a systematic theology class, mm-hmm. um, it, but it can have some of those components. And so I think anytime we can integrate um, into our Bible teaching theological truths that the text brings out or points out, helping our students think bigger about God than the, you know, maybe childhood Bible stories that they hear in, in, in Sunday school, which are important foundationally, mm-hmm. but that oftentimes becomes really the, the height or the pinnacle of their theological education. The church happens in children's ministry, uh, which can be really sad. So I think uh, the other thing is we have to recognize uh, about theology for students is that they are probably at this juncture in their life facing and being introduced to concepts, to challenges. Uh, they're going to have family members die probably while they're in middle school or high school. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be faced with life and death scenarios. Mm-hmm. They're having a, a huge cultural tidal wave that just is engulfing them that's going to raise questions. They're being inundated with information through all these various, whether it's social media or friends or whatever it may be. And so it's raising some questions that we need to be answering. Mm-hmm. And theology equips them to answer and to engage life around them and while we can lament that life is coming at them earlier than it should or maybe earlier than it has in, in recent decades or lifetimes, mm-hmm. um, but what we really should be doing is equipping them to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And um, as we do that, I think we'll, we'll actually find readied listeners, eager, attentive teenagers who say, yeah, I, I need to know how to answer that question. Mm-hmm. I need, I've actually been wondering about that. How does God relate to suffering? Yeah. How do I understand? I don't have a category for that. And if we shy away from some, the, it doesn't mean we have to use big, fancy seminary style right. terms. We right. don't need to say, well, let me give you a theodicy. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. Let, let me just teach you how to understand God and suffering yeah. if we're doing that. Because otherwise, I think we kind of position ourselves to be irrelevant, dismissed. And that's why they think, that was great for my childhood, but now I'm moving on to real yeah. grown-up life. We want to we want to make mature disciples, yeah. even in this stage, and it's possible to do that. Yeah. And, you know, when we we're talking earlier about there is a wrong way to do this, where it is nothing but games and you know fun, right. and it is a glorified daycare. I mean, I, I know there's so many different factors about why kids leave the church when mm-hmm. they go into college, but mm-hmm. I almost wonder if that's maybe one of them because they can't find anything like that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, 100%. And, and they, they just lose sight of, and because we don't give it to them, but uh, the relevance. How does mm-hmm. this actually meet up with real life? And I think theology meets life head on. And um, so we've got to be teaching that way. Because a lot of times the other things we try and do is just correct um, moral behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's been called in, in multiple uh, different conversations, kind of, um, you know, this therapeutic moral deism, Mm -hmm. where we're just trying to counsel them through this season of life, get them to avoid any huge moral errors. And then uh, if they can survive till college or past college without having any life altering, you know, choices and consequences, then maybe we'll make it through the teenage years. Uh, That's one of the reasons why, you know, even in like that parenting class, um, I really advocate for books like Age of Opportunity by Paul Tripp. Great book. Uh, it really just capitalizes on helping you understand, no, no, this is the the formative season in their life to help them learn to navigate uh, this world. And so 
I think we have to kind of, you know, pull in all of those types of that understanding of what we're doing with teenagers. Yeah, I remember talking to a um, a counselor, dear brother, uh, who said that in recent years, uh, he'd had an, an increasing number of uh, young adults, I'd say 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think any any older than that, but, but you know, 20s. Uh, you know, newly wed, um, perhaps even young parents, you know, parents of infants and so on, that were just struggling in the mm. faith. Mm. I mean, just struggling. And he said that he noticed this this common thread in several of the conversations that they had grown up in churches where uh, basically what they heard about the Bible, you know, or what they heard from the Bible was basically here are six steps to this, here are five steps to that, right. you know, and here, you know, you do this and you're going to have a happy life and, and and all of this, and that's what they got from the scriptures, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I don't. Totally know where they got it from the scriptures, but they got it from the scripture somewhere in there. And and, but what happened was here they are now adults and they are actually making life choices Mm -hmm. and they're living in in the real world and and all of that. And they're getting, you know, a right hook to the jaw, you know, and and, I mean, they are they are face down on the canvas going, wait a second. I thought this was supposed to be, you know, six simple steps, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and all of that. My life's a mess. And what happened is they're having a conflict, a crisis in yeah. their faith where they're actually uh, considering walking away from from the Lord and all of that because they see what they got in, in youth ministry as false advertisement. Yep, yep. When in reality— what they got wasn't, uh, uh, you know, a a a um, authentic. A bad, exactly, yeah, yeah. they didn't get a bad Jesus, <laughs> right, right? You know, uh, <laughs> or at least they the the Jesus of the Bible isn't the one that they that they heard about, right? And and so you have the opportunity in these in these, you know, again, it's a short time span; mm-hmm. it's just a few years that you have to fill up uh, the folks' uh, minds and fill up their hearts with the truth of Scripture, mm-hmm. and the truth of Scripture is. Life's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a yeah. total complicated, hot mess uh, and and all of that. And we serve the God who is able to make all things new. Yeah. And so give your people, give your teens what they need that they can persevere, that they can endure, that they can overcome faithful to the end and so on and live life in a manner worthy mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. So we want to mature. We yeah. want to make it to where they can endure. Uh, we want all of those things. So what are some good resources to help with discipling teens, not only just for youth pastors, yeah. but also for parents to walk uh, with their teens? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think of by way of parenting, I mentioned uh, Paul Tripp's book. It's just been one of a, a, an anchor text that I've pointed out so many parents to and how to understand not just the teen's life, but idols in our own hearts as parents of teens, Mm -hmm. some of those things that can kind of um, interfere with our ability to disciple them them well. And for youth leaders, that book's really helpful because now all of a sudden it puts you in a conversation with parents um, that's important and significant. There's a partnership. I think Robbie Gallaty has come out with a lot of discipleship material in recent years, and some of it has been geared for teenagers, Mm -hmm. and I've seen it be really helpful um, in some mentoring capacities and relationships with teens. And I would certainly, um, you know, endorse that. And then for student pastors, uh, good friend uh, Tim McKnight, uh, who's down at Anderson University, mm-hmm. he just um, uh, wrote a book, Navigating Student Ministry, or just came out. I uh, wrote a chapter in that book on discipling teenagers. And um, it's a fantastic resource by way of overarching ministry and equipping. So those those might be three resources that I would point to from a parent's perspective, 
a mentoring or discipling perspective and then from a, a student ministry uh, practitioner perspective. Yeah. I'm sure anything you'd add to that? Any any resources that you might recommend? Um, I'm a I'm a fan of the trips, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know, even though Age of Opportunity is focused specifically on team ministry, uh, there's certainly things in Shepherding a Child's Heart um, from uh, Tripp's brother mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that that is really good and and can translate into a, uh, into the teen years as well. Um, oh boy, I any resources uh, that that deal with uh, shaping. Um, our theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we had a we just had a, a recent episode with uh, Keith Whitfield on systematic theology, and even though it may be a little bit over there, over that le- that level, uh, books like like Packers Knowing God, um, which is a little bit a little bit uh, above maybe right. upper high school yeah. uh, levels uh, and so on, and yet you know there are some things in there that are really simple. I mean, easy, easy yeah. to understand. Uh, Jerry Bridges is a, another one that mm. I, I've always loved uh, just because of his simplicity. Um, uh, and so uh, and, and in terms of books, all of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jerry was he was working with navigators uh, in his lifetime. And so uh, he was dealing more with college age uh, 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 students. But but even still, you have converse. Uh, you have uh, things that he talks about there that are just so simple uh, that that teens would uh, would recognize it easily. I would I would point to I mentioned the theology for them. Uh, Bruce Ware wrote a book called Big Truth for Young Hearts, mm. and it's a, a systematic theology that's really accessible mm-hmm. and takes them through some um, some of the core doctrines of the faith, but in in terms that they can understand. He kind of had in, in mind his grandchildren when he wrote it, but I think he actually overshot the children age years, and so it kind of falls into the teenage bracket, and so that would be a, a good one uh, mm-hmm. maybe to to grab a hold of. Um, if, if you're looking for a theological resource to how to yeah. how do I teach theology to teenagers in a language they understand, mm-hmm. that's a really accessible. And then when you can think of things like C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. that uh, draw a bridge for them, they may be familiar with some of the Chronicles of Narnia type uh, writings, but then when you introduce them to mere Christianity, yeah. that's a really accessible, practical book that answers some really huge questions. Um, and I think that would be uh, something that you could use to include as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are good. So we've talked a lot about the pressures teens face, which mm-hmm. is an immense amount of pressure mm. uh, that they face in high school each and every day. Yeah. You know, they're exposed to so many things. You know, we've mentioned culture. I mean, I just think about how different high school is, even from when I was there, which now mm-hmm. is like growing <laughs> more and more. But it's just so different. And, and we see it, right? We see the effect that it's having on teens. I mean, I'm sure you know suicide rates in teens are, are increasing more yeah. frequently, yeah. Uh, even within the last year or two uh, with COVID. So how do we help students yeah. as they navigate these difficult seasons in their lives? Uh, how do we give them biblical lenses mm-hmm. to filter all of these pressures through? Yeah, it's a really important question. I do think uh, everything from trends, whether it's the suicide statistics to um, depression and some of the diagnosis that you see clinically. <laughs> Listen, my sixth grader came home this year in a public speaking class in her school. Uh, most of the students get up and, and talk about things related to what their counselor told them, um, their uh, the medication that they're on for various things. This is a sixth grader, and she's sitting in class listening to people just bare their souls about their emotional distress. Wow. And um, that, I mean, that, that's just a world that would have been foreign to me mm-hmm. uh, as a sixth grader. So we have to realize 
that it's hitting them much earlier. Some of that is, is like you mentioned, some contributing factors. Uh, other elements of it, um, it's it, often because historically what's been there, we've kind of ignored. And that's where the real awareness needs to come from. The truth is the, the things kids are facing at home these days have probably been there all along. Mm-hmm. They've just become more public. And so now it's like, okay, or the the students themselves uh, now feel more free to share their stories. And so they're coming to light, but they've probably always uh, been there. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we we owe it to them to help engage them. I think we have to to, um, invite their transparency. We have to give them a safe space to share openly. And some of that comes by not just teaching in mass, but using small groups, leveraging them well, using mentoring relationships, leveraging them well, including parents and leaders into mentoring elements and aspects of student ministry so that they have somebody they feel connected to and can open up to. All those are critical. So we have to create avenues for conversation. Mm -hmm. And then what we give them in the conversation, we have to help them see that at the foundation, every problem they have is met and solved through the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so whatever else comes on top of that is to be considered and evaluated according to the context and the particular individual and situation. But foundationally, what we have to give them, and and listen, let's be honest, a lot of youth pastors and pastors in general don't know how to counsel severe emotional disorders or issues, and we don't have to. We have to recognize what you are capable of and what you aren't. So while we can create avenues for conversation, we should give them the gospel and help them see that Jesus meets their spiritual need, which is at the core of everything they're dealing with, and then also be willing to and able to refer them mm-hmm. to some other, obviously, biblically-based, Christ-oriented, gospel-saturated counselors and ministries that can serve them well in a more long-term way. And so knowing when and how to refer is critical. And I think sometimes, especially with young youth pastors, they just think they have to be the one to do it all or they can do it all. And that's that's just not wise. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you you know, in the in the proverbs, you know, it says in the multitude of counselors, uh, there is victory. And so you think, uh, you know, you as a as a student pastor are one of those counselors, mm-hmm. and you may have even other uh, uh, youth workers and so on, you know, that are there and engaged and stuff. Some may be parents, some may be not. Well, that's a few more. Then you've got your whole local church body, you know, the uh, just the the council of building good relationships uh, with uh, the the um, older, more mature, you know, men and women, and so on in the in the local church, including the pastor, you know, senior pastor, elders, so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, as you were saying, you've got outside as well, uh, you know, if if it's uh, of a of a nature that you need some professional help or something like that. But uh, for students that are in in, in those situations, I know that typically the first thing that 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 really uh, kind of lodges in in mm-hmm. in their minds or in their hearts is the idea that they're alone. Mm-hmm. So whatever they're going through, they're going through all alone. There nobody understands, nobody cares, you right. know, and all of that. And I think that's the opportunity, you know, for for the cavalry to come out, yeah. you know, yeah, and yeah. say, no, 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 you are surrounded by a multitude of counselors, yep. you know, a multitude of folks who are here at the very least to encourage you to pray for you, if not do more, even more than that, uh, you know, to help you uh, walk through. That. Giving them permission to share and then giving, creating the avenues for them to be able to share, I think, is, is primarily where our responsibility has to start mm-hmm. as it relates to these, these types of issues. Yeah, yeah. 
So let's switch gears a, a little bit uh, to the topic of preaching. Yeah. Um, you know, we look at uh, student ministry, much of it, uh, I know, uh, even from experience, not just uh, in being in a youth group, but also being a youth pastor way back in the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I remember the the poll, mm-hmm. you know, as as a as a, a student pastor. Uh, to to cover every topic known to man, sure, you know, and so yeah. uh, the the temptation was real that whenever we'd gather together, that all right, we're going to talk about you know sexual purity, we're going to yeah. talk about you know honoring your parents, we're going to talk about you know alcohol and drugs, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah, right. and it just basically becomes a you know let's hear what 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 Pastor Ron Jor thinks about things, um, you know, it, it, I mean, it just basically you know became that, and I feel that weight sure. you know, of going, there's got to be a better way to do this. Uh, one, I'm going to run out of topics. Two, mm-hmm. I'm only going to pick the ones that I like, you know, yep. and, and so on. And and really, that's what drew me towards uh, in, in youth ministry, being more expositional. Yeah. You know, going, okay, I can't cover all of the topics because I don't know all of the right. topics. Right. You know, right. and, and I certainly don't have a, a good, wise opinion on, <laughs> on all of these things. So let's just go through the Bible. Let's just go, you know, and and, and see what the Bible says. Is that is that a growing thing in student ministry or or if if it isn't you know what how how can we become more yeah. expositional i think the people are that are aware of expositional preaching i think they're committed to do it all the way down to the student ministry level i think uh, for those who are unaware uh, they're doing the best they can and topical and relevance is driving the train and i think uh, when you consider uh, effective approach to student ministry um Expositional teaching and preaching not only is going to best um, kind of teach them, disciple them, mentor them by way of in, the truth of the scripture and being you know learning how to understand, but it's going to equip them to study the scriptures on their own. We mm-hmm. we know mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. oftentimes herald that the expositional preaching not only uh, teaches the word of God as the word of God, letting God speak for God as we kind of are his mouthpiece um, in that sense. But it also disciples and trains our listeners of how they should study the Bible on their own. Right. And, man, so expositional teaching should be, uh, I think, front and center. Uh, I think this involves um, everything from discipling your small group leaders as to how to teach expositionally. It doesn't mean that it sounds like a sermon. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have uh, interactive dialogue, which I think you can include as part of expositional teaching sure. in, in, in those contexts. Uh, but it does mean that they know how to handle the scriptures mm. and let the scriptures speak well. And then, too, what we model in our large group settings, our youth worship nights, whatever, if that's Sunday night or Wednesday night, whatever it may be. Uh, and then what we used to do to kind of balance, and I say balance, it wasn't like it's 50-50 balance, but to give it its due is we would have, oh, every six weeks or so, um, we would do some sort of topic. What does the Bible have to say about and it was something that was relevant, something that I knew the, the teens had been asking and, and whatever. And so it was going to be a walkthrough, more of a, a topical study. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would we would do that. What's the word on this? What's the uh, and so we would we would what's, yeah. what's the Bible got to say about this? So it, it kind of answered the curiosity questions, but then helping them see the relevance of the text through expositional messages that actually addresses those topics. Yeah. Oftentimes, uh, anyways, helps them see that they don't have to hunt and peck and choose, they can can study the scriptures. The temptation's always there to make it a soapbox. And you don't want to make it a soapbox. Like, I don't want teens to come hear me. I want them to hear God. And I think, man, the thing that you said that just is so 
so good is we want to teach them through mm-hmm. our expositional preaching or teaching how to read the scriptures for themselves in community. Yep. And I think one of the ways you do that is by doing it with community. Yep. Yeah. I've still got a catalog and in, in a, a file on my computer of student ministry messages, and the folders in there are Colossians, Sermon on the Mount, Psalm 119, First mm-hmm. Peter, you know, like expositional series through those books. And, dude, they ate it up. Like, don't discount their hunger for the Word. I mean, the Bible is like salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get, right? It just mm-hmm. becomes that, man, I need more of that. And so as you begin to feed it to them, uh, they'll, they'll take it. They'll yeah. want it, yeah. We know that many who get into student ministry – uh, you know, get in for various reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some where God has legitimately called them to student ministry and they're there for a lifetime. Sure. Then there are others that say, all right, you know, I'm just passing through. <laughs> right? You know, I'm, I'm here uh, doing this and I'm and I'm but I'm looking for the opportunity to become a senior pastor, you know, or something like that. Is that good? Uh, is that is that bad? You know, um, should it be a stepping sure. stone? Yeah, I think it's wrong if it's a stepping stone mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've got to do this as a, a hoop to jump through, a dude to pay. You know, I've I, I've got to kind of earn my stripes before I can qualify to be mm-hmm. uh, a, a senior pastor. I think, quite honestly, a lot of that uh, created some some of the channels that we see now in church planting. It became really popular because some younger guys didn't want to walk through the student ministry portal to get to senior pastor leadership, so they just said, I'm going to go plant a church. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different conversations about that. Um, but here's the one value is um, of student pastor, student ministry uh, for those who ultimately may be called to a senior pastor ministry long term is that there's probably not another ministry in the church, and I, would, I almost want to take the caveat off, there's not another ministry in the church that better equips you to be a senior pastor than being a student pastor. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times the areas of oversight you have, the responsibilities on a smaller scale, they are what's leading a church looks like. You've probably got a parent leadership team that's going to mirror or reflect elders or deacons, right? You, you've you got to plan services like you have to plan full-on church services. Uh, you've got to teach and preach messages. You've got to uh, train and equip leaders who are then going to serve. Like all the things that a senior pastor does on the large, full, whole-scale um, kind of uh, platform as a church, a student pastor does in microcosm in student ministry. And so there's just a lot of uh, elements to that that I think have historically translated uh, from student pastor into senior pastor and with good reason. And so we we have to guard ourselves from uh, discouraging people that, hey, even if you don't know you're called to student ministry for a lifetime, that doesn't discount the significance you can have in students' lives and it, the difference it can make in your life as you prepare for that next level of ministry. But if you take it just as a, I'm trying to take this so I can springboard my ministry career, then I think you've got bigger issues in your own heart mm-hmm. as to how you're navigating that. I remember after serving in student ministry for a number of years and was about to graduate seminary and all this kind of stuff and people assuming that I was going to take the next step naturally. And we went and bought a house and they said, what do you mean? Like you're buying a house? Are you going to stay here forever? And it's like, man, I'm, I'm here as long as God has me here. I'm completely satisfied and fulfilled in the role that I'm in. And I don't need to look. If God has something for me, he'll come find me. And forever might be tomorrow. Life may be that short for me. And if he needs to sell a house, he can sell a house. I think when you enter into student ministry, you have to adopt the mentality of I'm in this for the long haul, Mm -hmm. 
even though that may not be a long haul. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So getting back into my time machine here and going back in time to when I was a student pastor, another big issue was this silo mm. that existed between the church and the student ministry. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, oh, you know, they're over in the youth building. That's they're doing their thing, and mm-hmm. we're over here. Yeah. And that may that's totally at times unintentional. Like yeah. that just happens. Right. So how can we break down, as now speaking as like the church at, mm-hmm. at large, how can we break down those silos that might exist between the church and the student ministry? It's really important for both uh, sides of that you know, conversation to, to come together. In, in other words, so the older gener- generation has to embrace students as a part of vital part of the church today, mm-hmm. not just the church tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. And if they'll start with understanding that, it should begin with kind of building the bridge, and I would put it primarily on them to be responsible as the mature believers that you would expect, they're going to make the accommodations necessary to invite and include yeah. students to be a part of the church at large, So, which may look like translate into service opportunities, whether that's, you know, passing the offering plate, being a greeter, or singing in the choir, mm-hmm. you know, something that yeah. gives them opportunities to be a part of and puts them in position. What, the, what the older church members need to know is like, because even when I was serving, teens are craving for that. Like oh, yeah. they're craving for interaction with older members in the church. And so yeah. like one of the things that we try to do is get the older members to see that. Mm-hmm. So like how much of an impact would it be if an older member discipled Oh, yeah. One of the teens or if an older member or a member of the church went to a ball game yeah. you know, during the week to support that teen. Yeah, that's the thing. I think if um, if you have a teenage person singing in the choir, the, the, the adult, the, the maybe not even a senior citizen, but the upper age adult, like they're going to sit beside them every week, sing in choir practice together or whatever it may be. They're going to get to know somebody who's in a different generation and both of them are going to have a, a mutual appreciation for the other. And so I think anytime we can put them with other adults in the church, it's going to help build that bridge. From the student side, as student leaders and pastors, we have to recognize that the goal is to integrate them in the church mm-hmm. and that we can't just say, look, I've got more freedom if I just go silo over here. This can be my world. I can kind of do what I want, how I want, when I want. And so I'm going to just opt for that. And when we do that, I think we set the students up to fail. Because mm-hmm. quite honestly, if, if they see primarily, if not only, a ministry that's designed around them, when they graduate and go to whatever college they go to, although they should come to the college at Southeastern, uh, <laughs> when they when they graduate and go to whatever the college they go to, they're going to be looking for a church um, that, that caters to them like their student ministry catered to them. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be sorely disappointed because they're going to feel like, man, it just doesn't feel like the church that I grew up in. What that means is it doesn't feel like church is all about me anymore. Right. And so we have to help them understand, our students understand that they are part. So I think including them in um, work days at the church where they're coming and serving on the grounds or mm-hmm. uh, doing various things like that. Maybe they're serving at the um, the uh, whatever, the potluck after yeah. church or they're, they're coming to any time that you can get the servants, uh, students serving, I think it helps them see a bigger picture of what life should look like for them. 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And it might just be a good teaching opportunity for you, the student pastor, say, look, if you crave that with older adults, maybe you should start pouring into the kids' ministry here right? and doing the same thing and recreating it. That's that's the beauty of the local church is it's this mixture of ages and all these things coming together for for a common cause. It's got to be intergenerational. I think there's some statistics out there. You know, we talk about the geographical 1040 window Mm -hmm. um, that we've adopted historically now for decades is the target 
for the global missions. But now statistics bear that there's a 1030 window, but it's not geographical. It's age. It's generational. Mm -hmm. And between the ages of 10 and 30, um, the vast number of of, uh, kind of the large majority of the population really of the earth, it falls in that range. Mm -hmm. So what are we as the church doing to integrate them mm-hmm. uh, into the church and help, you know, give them a place. Absolutely. So it's important. Yeah. So we're, we're doing this series on yeah. theological education, specifically theological education here at Southeastern. So we're asking this question to all of our, of all of our guests mm-hmm. uh, during this series. So how has Southeastern helped you equip students pursuing not just student ministry, but even pastoral ministry here to fulfill the mission? Yeah, I think it's by understanding that, in fact, uh, the church— and whatever demographic is on mission and is members of the church. And so when we look at, we often say um, every classroom is a great commission classroom, and that's just not a a slogan. Uh, That's something we take seriously so that as we're teaching through student ministry practitioner elements, it all has missional thrust. It's all headed for that. And so we're not just creating budgets. Here's how you plan a student ministry budget. How do you craft a student ministry budget that? Um, kind of considers and is built on a missional understanding to mobilize students. I think in, when we look at discipleship of teenagers, and then we take this approach in these classes, when we look at discipling teenagers, that it involves uh, making disciples, leading them to Christ, um, mentoring and maturing disciples, and then mobilizing disciples. Mm-hmm. That our job is to mobilize teens for the gospel into whatever calling God has placed on their lives. Mm-hmm. And so our student ministry courses are designed to do that. And so when I think of even a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching a hybrid here on campus with um, you know folks from Florida to Arkansas to um, Kentucky to you know all around the country have come in to study student ministry with us. Um, you know, I just marvel at how the stories that I hear as they tell the difference it's making in their student ministries, what they're taking back, and how it's transforming their churches. Mm. And I'm just grateful to be a part of it. Mm. Well, thanks for all you do, brother. That'll do it. Dr. Pace, thank you again for taking time to join today's discussion. I'm loving this series, by the way, because I'm learning so much about our faculty and their drink preferences over here. So we had (laughs) Pepsi last week. Now we got Sundrop this week. That's right, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, if you're listening and you're considering starting or furthering your theological education, consider Southeastern. We offer a variety of degree programs programs focusing on student and pastoral ministry. Come learn from our amazing faculty, which includes Drs. Pace, uh, Jim Shaddix, Dwayne Milioni, Danny Aiken, Ronjor Locke, and many more. Learn more about how Southeastern can help equip you to fulfill the mission by visiting sebts.edu. We want to thank you again for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found today's episode helpful, uh, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, friends, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.